Bienvenido, bienvenue, and welcome to Samaritan Conversations. In Luke's account of an event over 2,000 years ago, there's a story of a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho who was attacked by bandits. The priest saw the attacked person and opted to pass the other way. A Levite, a religious leader, also opted to pass the other way. Then, according to Luke's account, um, a certain Samaritan, someone outside of the religious establishment, one who was marginalized, stopped and helped. Samaritan Conversations is a podcast focused on community and business leaders who live as that certain Samaritan, that good Samaritan. Welcome to the show today, Chris Ruddle of Best in Class. Uh, Chris, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. I enjoy having the chance to get to talk with you. So, uh, Chris, I guess just to kind of kick us off, why don't you just tell us a little bit more about yourself and then we'll just get started from there. Okay. Well, I uh, was born and grew up for the most part in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, The scourge of sports recently, if you've watched the Reds and the Bengals. But uh, (laughs) after I got out of high school, I went to uh, college in a small Division III school up in Indiana. And when I was leaving college, I thought I wanted to be a diplomat with uh, the U.S. State Department. Tried two times, didn't get in, but I went with GE instead because they had a lot of international business. Uh, Got a reputation. I entered through finance, but got a reputation of taking jobs no one else would take. And I ended up in almost every function in the business, Uh, ran a few businesses, did a lot of work overseas, particularly in Latin America. Uh, After 25 years, I left GE, worked for a short time with uh, A.O. Smith, which was also in the industrial systems business. But then uh, late in GE, we had come to to Atlanta, my family and I. We left for the short period with A.O. Smith, came back to Atlanta, and I spent the next uh, decade and a half uh, scaling small to mid-market businesses, and including helping bring businesses out of Georgia Tech. Uh, as the students and the professors were trying to get businesses launched. I've turned my attention now to best-in-class education center, building a business with my family. Uh, We're a family of educators, except for me. I'm more the businessman, including grandparents. And so we're having a fun time helping students uh, change their own world by getting an education. And when we invested, little did we think we'd be having COVID uh, and all the challenges that it's brought to education. Uh, Sort of parallel to this, uh, for the longest time in my life, I was following the uh, life of success, worried about business, worried about getting things for myself and my family, not necessarily bad things, but things like that. I've morphed over a little bit more to the uh, life of significance. And so even with the business, which we'd like to have succeed, the chance to touch so many students and families in education is something close to my heart. Gotcha. Um, and I, I, you know, Samuel maybe hasn't heard of uh, Best in Class. So just kind of uh, explain a little bit more about what Best in Class is, because I know it's new to the market, just in case someone else is listening and wants to participate. Yeah, best in class, it's actually a franchise, a supplemental education company. 
And so we take care of helping K to 12 students in their education. And there's three basic ways. One is we have our own enrichment program that uh, is focused right now on math and English tied to what is expected each school year. And we help students who are not well behind, but are a little bit behind on level or even advanced, we help them build their math and English skills so that they can excel in those subjects. We do a wide range of uh, tutoring of all different subjects. It tends to fall with high school students in math and science and young kids that are learning to read. Those are the most common uh, tutoring engagements we have. And then we do a lot of test prep uh, we do uh, the milestones when they have it. We do the gifted test prep, and we do SAT and ACT test prep. And we also uh, help students and families go through the admissions process. We have a workshop where we take them through the admissions process for college, help them find scholarships and all sorts of things like that. Wow. So that's a pretty wide gamut from improving math skills to helping folks learn to read. So yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's kind of interesting to hear you say that, having you know, known you more as the business person. Now yeah. I'm trying to picture you <laughs> doing <laughs> Well, I always did a little bit of education in, in uh, business. You know, I had the reputation of turning around situations. And usually I came in, particularly at GE, uh, the benefit was no one expected anything from that business the first year or two. So I got more of a free reign, even though I was inside GE. And in a lot of times, I had a number of very good people that didn't know what they needed to do. And so I was doing a lot of education, building up the, uh, the team. And so I'm applying that skill now, but really to see for me, because it's new for me, to see the light bulb go on in a kid's face when they understand what's going on, to see the parents overwhelmed when their kid was failing and now he got a B or an A and passed the class, to see them uh, get into the college of their choice. It is very, very heartwarming to be able to touch that many lives. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm amazed. I didn't realize you wanted to be a diplomat at first, so that's sort of a new uh, learning for me, but um, one of the things that I've kind of always admired about you is the, and, and I think obviously people can't see you as you're, you're talking about this, but when you talk about how it warms your heart to see these students uh, improve, one of the things I've always admired about you is you've always had this servant leadership, servant heart, uh, and compassion and empathy towards people. And so I think that came through even if people didn't see you, uh, just with that point that you just made. Thank you. It's, it's very important for me. And, you know, I think like most of us, uh, I don't think I had the same level of empathy when I was a younger person. Uh, my brothers and I are going through a uh, process where we normally would go on a retreat during Lent, but with COVID, we're not comfortable with going to a retreat center. Uh, so we're doing it virtually on the weekends. And one of the things I uh, noted to them this past Sunday is I had the blessing, aside from a brother that passed away, really my younger years, 
I had very little bad things happening to me. And I don't think I had the same empathy because I think until you start feel, feeling some difficult situations, sometimes you aren't totally empathetic. And, and luckily, I've gone through some of those situations, and I think it's made me it's made the natural inclination of trying to help others even more effective because I see them more often when they need help. Yeah, sub, sometimes you just have to keep on living, right? It's this, as the saying goes, you just, <clears throat> you know, if you haven't been successful or haven't fallen, just keep on living. And you right, get right. It'll catch up to you sooner or later. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so. I, I like that because it, it allows you to put things in perspective. Um, and I, I tell my kids that all the time because when I was younger, you, you don't really understand how to be empathetic or how to care about people when you've not experienced it, especially when parents are doing too much of a good job to keep that away from you. So yeah. I really do appreciate that. But on top of that, it definitely takes a special person to be able to have the patience to help children when they are in need. Um, how did how did that part come to play? Because it's one thing to be empathetic and kind, but the patience it takes, because I got three myself, and one, it takes a lot of patience to, you know, he's a different learner. And so imagine that as a business and that your heart is helping many children like that. Um, I'm very curious how that came into play. Well, you know, I think that... Uh... Part of it is you got to remember, I'm the only one in the family that wasn't an educator. Okay. Uh, so, so when we started to look, my family and I started talking because I was helping a lot of other businesses scale. And, you know, we had some family situations that made it more attractive for us to try and do something that would help our son and daughter have a business that they could move into. So we decided to look into franchises because they give you a business structure. Uh, but with the aim of my wife and I would be involved, but that they would support us in the style we're accustomed and they would be running the business a little bit out. Okay. And so as we looked at various businesses, we gra gravitated to education because for the rest of the family, it was the most comfortable thing. And they're used to it. They're, they were very effective teachers. My son never taught in a school. He taught in museums, you know, when kids would come in. But everybody was teaching. Uh, and, and so they had that patience. I think that where I got used to it was that every family, every parent wants the same thing for their kids. They all want to see them succeed. And... We went out of our way to be very, very upfront because our, our method is always to do an assessment upfront with the child, not just take them in, to be very upfront with what we could do or couldn't do in the short term in particular uh, to help them out, what it would take. And I think that that helped uh, keep the parents aligned. with. And then when the parents are aligned, uh, they have the kids lined up well coming in uh, so that they have an orientation to be accepting. And we try and make it fun. So how does a kid from Cincinnati, um, you know, start to think about being a diplomat? 
Just I'm curious about that. Well, I think part of it when I was growing up, my dad was in Air Force intelligence. And he was there during the Korean War, and he got picked for a program where they trained him to learn Russian. And he was stationed in Berlin shortly after Berlin was cut off, if you remember the Berlin, Berlin airlift. Yep. And the whole purpose was to monitor the Soviets to see if they were going to try something else with Berlin. Uh, the Soviets weren't supposed to know that there was a Russian-speaking unit in Berlin. Uh, but so later on, and he obviously he learned German because he was there for a number of years. Later on, he used to tell me when I'd sit on his lap, German and Russian nursery rhymes. So I got to like languages. I took German in high school, took German and Russian in college, basically majored in German, minored in Russian. And I always liked international things. So one of the big interests was to apply those skills and be able to work throughout the world. So it came from my dad, basically. So I knew you had spent some time in Germany uh, through GE, but just never got the... the... I studied in college in Germany for a while, too. So Yeah. So, <laughs> so, it's, uh... so I like international, and I really... I've, Worked uh, a lot in Latin America, uh, a lot in Israel, across Europe, and a bit in China, too. And so I've enjoyed getting to know the different cultures, uh, getting to see how things are done worldwide. But again, going back to what I said about the, uh, uh, the business also, the families and the parents across the world want the same thing for their kids, too. Yes. Uh, yes. It's... Uh, there's more commonality between us all than we give uh, than we give credit. Now, one of the things that I kind of you know not to because obviously you're more of a of a humble person, so you're not. I'll have to do some of your bragging for you. But one of the things that I really liked during this time that we've been, I mean, I already knew thought highly of you beforehand. But one of the things I really liked about you is as we went through 2020 and we had all of these, uh, you know, we had COVID, we had the racial stuff. I think you were one of the people who, uh, at least from my opinion, had spent a lot more time and effort trying to just sort of educate and the empathy sort of showed in terms of just the level of work you did, just trying to understand the, the racial gap and just, you know, like one of the, there were multiple people who would call and say, hey, we want to have a conversation. And then that was the end of it. But, you know, you seem to do a little bit more. So maybe just share some of that and just kind of how, you know, what prompted you and led you to that level of, of extra self-education? Yeah, I would say that, you know, uh, it was a growing awareness of the reality of the situation. I mean, I, I uh, realized there was tensions racially, tensions across the board, uh, you know, early on, as, as early as the late 90s, I was telling a lot of people that I saw the gap between haves and have-nots widening and that that was something we were going to need to work on because uh, I, I saw it as a defining factor of the future. Uh, but I think that 
the awareness, you know, I don't think that I totally understood the situation, uh, especially racially. Okay. Uh, I think that it took maybe a few more swats up the side of the head to understand that it was a bigger issue than I thought. And then what I think, uh, through some of the investigation I did first, uh, cursory wise, and then getting into some more depth was understanding some of the uh, origins of it. Cause I'm the type I like to understand why something happened. Sort of goes back to the GE days, turning around a business. You like to understand why is it where it is? So you know what to do about it. And, yeah. you know, I understood then some of the dynamics that caused the situation. You know, one of the things that I liked about the book about called cast is that uh, some of it is things beyond what we might call, quote, racism. A lot of us call racism the, the crazy guy in the corner that says all sorts of crazy things. But there's structural things that may have had a uh, racial beginning, but now they've morphed into just they are. And, and so understanding where these things came from uh, allowed me to understand, I think, the gap more that needs to get done, uh, understand more how we need to try and take some steps uh, to change things. And, and uh, you know, you shared with me the letter from Birmingham jail. I never read it before, but where Martin Luther King talked about, you know, fellow travelers, so to speak, as being one of his biggest disappointments, the people that should have been with him that weren't, okay? Yep. Uh, you know, and so the thing is, what I've tried to do is you helped me understand with some things that I could read with the groups I've been involved with, we've tried to discuss things, CEO NetWeavers, we just had an hour long discussion of the chaos book with the operating committee to try and understand how we can impact local business even more, uh, helping minorities. Uh, and you know, one of the big things that I've looked at is there's a lot of conversations that we have to have among ourselves as whites uh, that we have to, understand the background and so that's one of the most challenging things for me right now is having conversations with others other white people because a lot of them don't understand where things have come from and have simple solutions as to how we got here and how to get things fixed yeah yeah and i think the one of the things i, I agree with you on cast in that it was really it really provided new light to a lot of the historical context that none of us really, um, because of just how history is told by the successful ones, right? If you want to hide stuff, it gets hidden. And so I've there, there were just details in the book that I just didn't know. And, and most people just didn't know, you know, the, that you know, you kind of just had to read the book to finally get the historical context and understand, um, you know, where you know we always kind of think of um, things in pure black and white. And I think she, the author in the book, does a great job of just sort of revealing um, the whys behind the structures that we have. 
Juan, what I appreciate about her and many others is she remained at her core optimistic and was looking for solutions. So it's one thing to be a bomb thrower, talk about all the issues and just say, hey, have a nice life or, or whatever. Uh, I appreciate people that are willing to have a dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I, I don't want to monopolize all the questions, but earlier you said something about a, an organization, CEO NetWeavers. What exactly is NetWeaving or NetWeavers for those who don't understand? It's, it's an organization that uh, takes business leaders, a lot of them CEOs, and we try to apply what we can do uniquely uh, to make the Atlanta environment better. Now, in our case, we're focused on business because that's where we are unique. Not to say that building a house for Habitat for Humanity is a bad thing, but you know, as a CEO or as a business leader, you have experience that can help uh, mentor new business leaders, can help businesses through uh, inflection points. And so that's what we focus on. I know you said that you you had some things that happened, but how do you how how is it that each of these things you're involved in are are you do you decide hey I only want to be involved in something where it's going to um, bring value to someone else's life, or do you just fall into these um, situations or uh, contexts? How, how does that happen? Do you or is this pre-planned or does things just come to you? Well, you know, I'd say the answer is different. The era of my life that I call uh, the the life of success versus life of significance. Hmm. Okay. So, so I'd say now that I'm in the life of significance and I've got the gray hair and the wisdom, okay, hmm. it's a lot different answer. And I'd say that there are some foundational decisions we made, like as a family to invest in best in class. And that may be more thought out. Uh, getting involved with CEO NetWeavers, I was invited by a friend. And it was a group of people that resonated with me. I liked what they stood for. So there were some, what I'll say, more thought out changes. But once the structure's in place, I'd say that it's being open to where I'm led. And uh, and I've found that some of the most rewarding things that have happened in recent years have approached me at times where I don't think it's the most opportune time for it to occur. Uh, and so that's a flag for me now is that when my initial reaction is yes, but I don't have time, that that may be a flag to me. Uh, and it requires sometimes prioritizing things. But I would say that the other thing is that I have found that when I make the move and when it's not the most comfortable thing for me, that almost without exception, other things happen in the background that make the rest of my life easier. So that I don't have to worry about the conflict. And it was a real conflict. 
but I don't have to worry about it anymore because things have rearranged themselves elsewhere. And so as that's happened, my trust has grown and I'm a religious person. I tend to believe that it's God doing that. I tend to believe that uh, he's not going to be outdone. Uh, and I tend to believe he'll take care of all my needs. Now, that bothers me sometimes because I realize I've been blessed beyond my needs. So does that mean getting cut back to my needs or not? <laughs> so to be honest, but but I'll tell you, you know, what I've seen is that uh, when I put myself out there, uh, I've not been left alone. That's well said. That is well said. Um, and I think I, I think that might be the definition of um, it's a principle that's in the Bible that a lot of people don't adhere to because it sounds counterintuitive. Put others need ahead of your own, but it's not really saying don't care about yourself. It's basically saying, he, you know, he has you. So don't worry about you. He got you. So let's go worry about those out there who uh, needs help. So that's And the challenge is, you know, what level of what level of participation? Because you can't just sit back and say, God, do everything. Like the old joke, God, let me win the lottery. And God says, well, it's help if you buy a ticket. You know, type of thing. <laughs> so there is some participation, and I think there's always the level of how much I should be worried or have to participate. Uh, but but the other thing for me, although I can say some good things, I still have a bit of uh, uh, pride and greed that says that I've got the best way forward, so get out of my way and let me fix this myself. Uh, and I found that's been the biggest times where I've had troubles. So I found the biggest calm is when I may back off that a little bit, but the fine line is, okay, but how much do I have to really be pushing and how much are you leading me? And that's the testing period for me right now, the consistent testing period for me right now. Yep. You know, what, one of the things that I picked up on when you, um, when you talked about sort of stepping in and, and, and having opportunities to serve others come before you, uh, even when you think you're too busy or don't have the time, you'd like to help, but, and then things get rearranged. And that just kind of brought me back to the, you know, the whole story of the Samaritan, right? You know, we, we kind of tell that story or, you know, growing up in church, we hear that story solely in the context of, you know, there's this really special person who took the time, but that person was also busy going somewhere, right? And that person basically just, you know, took that inconvenience and then it led to something else, right? And so that's that's what I think we all kind of have to do. It's easy to kind of get in our own um, self-importance and believe that we're too busy to just take a break and do A or B for someone else. And it's just, you know, God will make the time and allow it to, to all work out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, and, you know, I think that's one of the biggest things that we start getting closer to God when we do trust him a hundred percent, when we can surrender our life to him 
turn back all the gifts we have and let him use them and trust, like I said, that that he's going to not be outdone and he's going to take care of all our needs. Are there any good Samaritans in your life that maybe were mentors or kind of influences in, in your life that have made you, um, you know, turn more to a life of service at this stage and, and, and a life of significance? It's a good question. Uh, I'd have to point to uh, my parents, but especially my dad as being one of the primary influences. You know, yeah. uh, when I look for a hero, it's my dad. And it's not just how he took care of us uh, as a family. Uh, it's how he took care of others. And how much our family, and I didn't realize it as a kid, but when you look back, we may have had other people living with us, for example. We may have been doing special things and being out of the house helping other people. Uh, we got exposed to a lot of things that I think to a certain extent you just learn that that's the way things are done. Mm. And, uh, you know, you learn it without understanding the whys. Uh, but so I think he and my mom gave us, our family, a basic orientation to that. I would say, you know, I've been blessed, but I went through a retreat type experience, probably the early 2000s, that really flipped the switch uh, on... Uh, on my next step of my spirituality. And it was the style where individual men at our church gave their own statements. And most of them were gut wrenching, you know, their whole life and everything. And mm -hmm. so all those people that shared their lives with me and showed me that in spite of all these issues, uh, they still turned around. And like I said, that was where I really understood my life wasn't all that bad. I was super blessed because I had nothing to any of them that talked to me. And there was like seven or eight of them in one week weekend that talked. Uh, that's where I really got it in the face that you've been blessed. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing uh, when you can kind of uh, get an opportunity to count your blessings because even though you you say that sort of hits you in the face, um, you're probably not unlike any of us where we even as we're highly blessed, we kind of find all the things that are going wrong. <laughs> well, I still do that. Exactly. G E G in particular teaches you to find out what's wrong and fix it. Yep. Well, uh, Chris, thank you so much for doing this well, for us. Thank you. And I've enjoyed the discussion. I've enjoyed listening to the podcast you all put out before. So it's been been great. And you know, the thing I'd say in the spirit of paying it forward is, you know, if there are business leaders that are facing particular challenges, you know, that that could use some some counseling. Like I said, we're not doing general, make the business better. But if you've got a specific issue in your business, uh, you know, approach CEO NetWeavers 
And you know, although that obviously our centers are in the northern part of Atlanta, but if there's uh, parents that are struggling with their children's education, even if we can't touch it because of distance, if you want to ask a few questions, then get a hold of us at Best in Class Education. We'll at least give you some advice.